Hello and welcome to uh, a slightly different episode of Dr. Wilco's Campaign for Better Beverages. Uh, I am Dr. Wilco. You won't recognise my voice because I'm not doing my normal uh, barman voice because I'm here doing an interview with Eric Knight from Spirity Cocktails. Uh, Eric, would you like to introduce yourself? No, thank you so much for doing this. This is a great opportunity for us to talk about Spirity Cocktails. Talk to someone blue in the face about Spirity <laughs> Cocktails. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let me just tell you a little bit about my background. Um, I moved to California uh, from the East Coast of America in uh, 2001, 20 years ago, to join the wine industry. And uh, I spent uh, a better part of 19 years uh, working in the wine and spirit space in manufacturing. Um, I had the opportunity to, to take a winemaking sabbatical and learn winemaking at UC Davis uh, and uh, work at several wineries in the North Coast of California. Wine and spirits were part of my daily life. I, uh, you know, from the time I walked in the office in the morning, we were talking about wine and spirits to, you know, by the time I, I got off of work, it was usually the first thing I did when I got home at night was either beer, wine or spirits. And I had access to, you know, great products um, over that time. And it, it allowed me to develop a deep appreciation for adult beverage. And, you know, over those 20 years, slowly, uh, just being around it all the time, I began to start to see the effects that alcohol was having on my lifestyle. And over time, you know, I could see myself uh, becoming more and more reliant on using alcohol daily. And in 2018, I decided to give up alcohol altogether and I went totally sober. So it left me, you know, in a position here where I spent my entire career in the beverage alcohol space. My passion was for adult beverage. I obviously enjoyed drinking alcohol, but here I was in this new place that really left me feeling abandoned, both professionally and personally, um, by alcohol. So I was in this kind of no man's land. And um, I decided to leave the company and uh, start what I have called Zero Proof Drinks, which is Spirity Cocktails with the mission of rethinking the adult social occasion. I have a, a unique set of skills uh, that I've developed over the last 18 years and a passion for adult beverage. And I also have a newfound passion for sobriety. Uh, and I began to see, you know, there's tons of people like me um, who had similar experience and are looking for products that either are consumers of alcohol or they've stopped alcohol together. Um, and they have, are seeking products that have some type of adult feel to them. Uh, so that's how Spirity Cocktails was born and why the, that's the, the, the story behind the mission of rethinking the adult social occasion. No, I mean, I think we can really see at the moment that there is not only, as you say, there is a bit of a push for people to have alcohol free or low alcohol drinks, uh, as opposed to constantly having access to alcohol, but also you would go to an event you've driven you can't drink while you're there because you're driving. And the alternatives available were either very, like, you know, fizzy pop, basically, or they would be something um, that, like, just wasn't, it didn't seem like you were at the same event as your friends. So I can see, you've seen, like, the rise of low alcohol uh, ciders and beers uh, uh, over here, at least. Uh, I believe they're also doing well in the US. Now, now it seems like the perfect time to start to move into the cocktail side of that because... While I think mocktails have existed for a long time, they're often kind of on the, the sweeter sugary side. So I think maybe the thing I'm most interested about 
the spirity drinks you've got is how they try to emulate those richer and also bitterer tastes of uh, your traditional kind of cocktails like the Negroni and stuff like that. So I suppose maybe the question I want to ask based on that is why tea? <laughs> That's a great question. And, you know, when I started the, the kind of project around rethinking the adult social occasion, a lot of it was in looking historically at research on what people were doing, what made the adult social occasion so unique. Why are, why are there beverages, there's specific types of beverages that have found their way into periods or, or time and moments in people's life that typically only exist within that moment? Like people don't get up and have, you know, they have tea for breakfast, but they don't get up and have a cocktail for breakfast, right? Somehow cocktails and alcohol has found its way into very specific time periods, usually when people are celebrating, when people are trying to relax, when they're in very specific parts of the day. And when I started to kind of get my head around what really the adult social occasion was about, uh, doing some research, you find that throughout history, tea has been used as an adult beverage, you know, for, for thousands of years and as a suitable replacement for alcohol over the last couple of hundred years. Tea has been, if you look at tea ceremonies, there's a whole uh, ritual and fanfare that comes around preparing tea, just like a cocktail, right? So when you think about how a cocktail is made and how you watch somebody do it and the, the ceremony that goes into making a great cocktail is just as important as how has the cocktail taste. And tea kind of followed that same process throughout history. And then at the turn of the century, you know, as the abstinence movement came in uh, in America, you see the use of tea being used and people actually setting up tea bars uh, in their, within the alcohol occasion. And people were consuming tea as a, as a suitable replacement, primarily because of its bitter, intense flavors. So that's what kind of got me thinking about it. And I started to experiment um, with a variety of different teas, and I landed on a, a Puyer tea, um, which is a, a, a traditional Chinese tea that has been fermented and aged, and it has a very unique, uh, robust flavor. I think people who are really into tea will know what Puyer tea is. Um, it's somewhat rare and expensive uh, to come across, but we've been able to uh, use that to make a interesting new spirit yeah i think uh while most of my my british listeners will, will be well aware of what tea you can get down the tea aisle uh, Pu'er is definitely something you have to still seek out even over in a, in a country full of tea drinkers and yeah it has that as you say it has that really robust strong flavor so i could see why that would make a unique tasting beverage but when you put it into the cocktail i mean i, I don't necessarily need all the details of your process but like you're distilling this into a, an alcohol-free spirit. So does that go through a, distil a traditional distillation process that generates an alcoholic base that you then are removing the alcohol from, or is this an entirely no-alcohol distillation? It goes through a distillation, and that's about as much as I've been sharing with people. Um, we've, uh, we've been, it's keeping it as trade secret. Uh, we have a proprietary extraction process, and then it does go through a distillation. And what you get out of it is a alcohol-free spirit. And there's no alcohol used in, in the production process itself. I think that's one thing that's like interesting in this space at the moment is you have a mixture of 
different things. You have like people making low alcohol versions of existing alcoholic products by extracting the alcohol from something that's already alcoholic. And then you have this, I think kind of the new wave is the kind of thing that Spirity is doing. Over here, we have a number of producers doing things like alcohol-free gin equivalents, but they're not gin. They're, they're, they're trying to emulate the botanical flavors without having to have the alcohol side of it. So that they will be not low alcohol, they'll be zero alcohol. And I'm going to be trying a variety of those throughout this alcohol-free season of the show. I suppose the question then is that robust uh, flavor. How, how does that act? Because you have three cocktails at the moment, and each of those are quite famous uh, in, in the cocktail world, in their, their alcoholic counterparts. I, I kind of want to maybe talk about each of those individually and see how, how it affects the, the flavor of that particular cocktail. We'll probably start off with my favorite, which is the Negroni. So I'm a big fan of the Negroni. Um, I've mentioned before on the podcast because I like how you can mix. The, the three ingredients can all be quite unique. And by changing out either of the three ingredients, you can really taste a, a different flavor. And so I, I suppose I'm wondering how your Negroni works because, I mean, it is literally three alcohols put together. You're not just swapping out one ingredient there. You're trying to emulate three different ingredients. D does it really bring the taste of that puer to the fore or is it something different? Is it more like a, a typical Negroni? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the important thing to know about the spirits distilled from tea is that we're not trying to emulate any particular kind of standard spirit. So I don't, I don't want to make my product taste like gin. Um, it's, it, first of all, it doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's very difficult uh, to make anything taste like alcohol and have the mouthfeel of alcohol. Um, so I learned very early that, hey, instead of trying to be something I'm not, um, I have a unique ingredient uh, that I'm going to own, and my spirits distilled from tea is what I'm using as kind of my primary differentiator. So I'm not trying to emulate, say, gin or tequila. I'm trying to use my cocktails to recreate a new version of existing cocktails, of the of classic cocktails, in my mindful series. So everything, my, my Negroni is actually a mindful Negroni, is what we call it. And the Negroni specifically, you know, the Negroni was a great choice of cocktail for us because of its, you know, rich history and the more modern interpretations that are occurring. You're starting to see people do different things with it. it originally, it had some, its roots are, are very vermouth-based. And now you're starting to see things that are a little bit more boozy, you know, gins and different things uh, that are occurring with the Negroni. So we, we elected to, you know, use the spirits distilled from tea and, and, it, and across all of our cocktails, we use a balance of uh, my spirits distilled from tea, which is an intense bitterness and mouthfeel. And then you have acid and sweetness. And those three things in balance are what gives us our unique adult-like sip ability. And I think that's the platform that's which all of our cocktails are made on. And then on top of that, we introduce things like fresh juices and different flavors to help, you know, bring the more reminiscent cocktail together. So for example, with our Negroni, um, the flavors are more vermouth-based. And so things like brown spice and cardamom, we use natural juices for color. And uh, the Negroni, if you were to taste uh, my mindful Negroni alongside I think what people would, a, a more modern, boozy, a traditional or a more modern version of a Negroni, I think you would find that there's a quite a disparity in the taste and mouthfeel. 
I think that when, you know, my product has uh, acidity, sweetness, bitterness, and it finishes with this, the, the spice aromas and mouthfeel of the vermouth. That's in, interesting. Uh, I think you're touching on uh, trying trying not to p- precisely emulate because uh, one thing I, I have been trying recently is uh, alcohol-free wines. And there is definitely something very interesting about a red wine that has that taste, that bitterness of red wine, but it doesn't have the alcohol in it. Like it, I find after a few sips, you can tend to get into those kind of drinks. But because they're trying to closely emulate the original thing, just sans alcohol, you then find that they often that they they feel a bit fake if you see what I mean whereas uh, by trying to do something that is unique then hopefully the drink will stand on its own absolutely and you know we 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 use the classic cocktail names to kind of get us in the ballpark but we definitely do not try to like I say I don't I don't make my margarita with tequila it's not a tequila margarita uh it is a margarita made with my spirits distilled from tea so I think it's a unique margarita um, some people like it, some people don't. It's actually the the best. It's my best selling skew, and it's the one that people um, the people that buy it continue to buy it. Um, so there's definitely something in it uh, people like. I, I think that's actually one I'm I'm really intrigued to taste because while I I feel I'm a big fan of the Negroni, I, I know I know where I stand with the Negroni. Margaritas are things I don't really make myself very often. We have. Slightly less access to tequila over here. It's just a bit more expensive because it's imported from further afield. But I suppose kind of tying into that flavor, normally margaritas have that strong agave flavor in the tequila. And so if you're trying to describe the difference between your margarita and what makes it unique, how, how would you kind of describe the flavor profile in comparison? Uh, definitely bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have used, I did include a little bit of a lemongrass with it so i think tequila a lot of people describe tequila as having a bit of a grassy kind of sensation in their mouth and lemongrass uh actually has a similar kind of feel it's kind of a, it's a different flavor but it can provide similar mouthfeels so we included lemongrass in there to help give it a little bit more of a margarita taste but again our margarita is and, and i learned a ton about margarita drinkers in the last eight months when I put this out, I was thinking a margarita was, you know, equal parts tequila, lime juice, and triple sec. When you see what people are actually drinking nowadays in margaritas, at least here in the U.S., a lot of it is mixer bases. So they purchase a margarita mixer, then add tequila. And those mixers are just, you know, they've got 40 grams of sugar per serving. Uh, they're highly sweet. And that's what people have recently become to associate with a margarita so when some people taste my margarita they're like well it's not sweet and i think they kind of miss the sweetness in it but there's definitely a consumer that likes the you know lime forward 25 calories and the bitter finish of that margarita the mindful margarita yeah i remember visiting texas a few years back uh, and i didn't realize the slight difference in style between what I expected from a margarita and what would be delivered at um, like a Tex-Mex restaurant uh, where they came out with this. This, <laughs> Firstly, it was gigantic. And secondly, it was more like a slush puppy, uh, like kind of iced drink uh, full of sugar than I was expecting. Um, it was an experience, certainly. I can see why they're popular at parties, uh, you know, when you've had a few drinks. But um, 
yeah, I, th- I think I'd agree with you that I tend towards bitterness myself uh, with drinks. I like, as I said, love the Negroni. I can definitely see the appeal of that style of margarita. And I think that is what I would expect to get over here more. Uh, when I order a margarita in a bar, I'd expect quite a lot of lime uh, and some bitterness. So it'd be interesting to see how the lemongrass uh, interplays with that as opposed to the agave flavor. It's funny talking to Brit about this. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's so it's almost it's almost embarrassing when you talk about the American margarita <laughs> when it's it's just it's big and it's full of sugar. You know, <laughs> but I think the thing is, you have like you almost have a margarita culture in a way that we don't because it's such a iconic thing to have on a night out. Whereas I wouldn't expect people to order one. And when people go to bars here, I think it's it, it's available, but it's not particularly popular. Whereas I think it's possibly a victim of its own success over in the US. Tequila is booming in the US right now. So it's definitely a, a popular cocktail. I think over here, we, we tend to have the really cheap tequilas as the standard thing you can obtain. So most people's experience of tequila is not particularly great in the first place. And it's only when you start to experience the, like, the wider variety of good tequila that you, you start to realize what's out there and, and how it's, it can be as complex as whiskey, which I think is a thing a lot of people don't realize. People think of it as a cheap night out drink over here kind of thing where people are like oh i've accidentally drunk a whole bar dry of tequila kind of thing you're like mm, well, that sounds like a, a poor choice um <laughs> i think there's a one more cocktail in your lineup at the moment which is the moscow mule and so i think that's quite interesting because that's heavy normally on the ginger flavor and vodka i mean if i was to describe a moscow mule i think there are places where they're a bit less sweet but i think i tend to think of those being quite a sweet drink and the vodka just kind of brings down the sweetness a bit. So how does your, your spirity blend work there? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we our mindful mule, what we call it, um, is made uh, with real ginger juice. So it does have quite a, a ginger bite. It's 35 calories, so it's not as sweet as I think people envision. And then the bitterness from the spirits distilled from tea is typically on the finish. I think that when people... The mindful mule, I think, in my opinion, and the feedback that we're getting, it it most closely emulates a, a traditional, you know, ginger beer and vodka because the spirits distilled from tea works closer to vodka than tequila or whiskey or anything else or gin. Yeah, the flavor profile is spicy ginger, and then you know you have a hit of acidity and sweetness, and then the finish is always bitter. And there's a little bit of a lime flavoring in there as well to help kind of balance it out. And lime always goes well in, in, in ginger beer and ginger ale. Absolutely. And, I, and with all of my cocktails, I, I always encourage um, fresh citrus with any of my cocktails. The Negroni, orange, the, the margarita, and the uh, limes. Uh, but it also, it just adds aroma uh, and it adds to the experience. Oh, certainly. I mean, that, that bit of fresh orange in a Negroni is, is a must, in my opinion. It's one of those things people can do to elevate their home bar, if they're, you know, whether they're making alcohol-based cocktails or alcohol-free ones, is go down to the supermarket, buy a few fresh fruits, and you can add those in, and, and it really lifts the drink. Uh, fresh fruit always gives it that extra pep. So you keep talking about uh, this base spirit you've made, spirits distilled from tea. I wonder if that's a thing you see a market for in and of itself. At the moment, you've got these blends you're making with it. But do you see that as a standalone product itself? And maybe it needs a snappier name if it's uh, going to come out as a standalone product. Yeah. <laughs> Spirits still different tea. Well, you know, it's a great question. And I think the answer is yes. I actually started with it as a standalone spirit. And there's a couple of problems with it. A lot of 
business market fit type issues with where, you know, how it's priced and where it belongs. Um, but there's some technical problems as well with you've got to add a preservative and acid to it to make it taste like anything. Or it's something that somebody's going to use. Just like a lot of the spirits that are out there now, the non-alcoholic spirits, they all contain acid and they contain a lot of preservative, um, which is something that I've been very sensitive to. So uh, like potassium sorbate is something that I, whenever I try the, uh, those non-alcoholic spirits, I end up with the feeling like I just had some really bad Chinese food. It just has, it's never agreed with me. And, you know, when you look at it and you, you see there's, there's just the amount that they have, knowing, you know, from my winemaking background, uses of, of those type of preservatives, knowing the amount that they need to put in those products to make them stable, it, it, to me, it just doesn't fit with my idea of what I put in my body. That, maybe that's not the main reason, but it definitely is a reason when you put it into a can, the canned cocktail already pre-mixed, it gives me the opportunity to pasteurize the product and make it shelf stable. It creates its own problems by doing that, but I can get away with the all natural and preservative free, which is important to me. And is also something that's beginning to set myself up for my competitors. All of my competitors in the bottled spirits realm all are using preservatives, heavy amounts of preservatives. I mean, if you want to keep something on a, a bar back open for six months, uh, it's got to have a ton of preservative in it. Even uh, one of my competitors just recently put an RTD cocktail out and it's got preservatives and I, I drank one and didn't feel good about it. So it's something that, you know, it sets us apart. And, you know, going back to why I would want to not do that in a bottle, uh, there are other challenges are that the, the spirits distilled from tea are, it's a unique, that Puyer tea is, is very unique. So it would require a ton of education to get people to figure out how to make things with it. And that costs money. And then finally, I would say is that when you think about where the market's going, people are looking for RTD versions. The mixology experience is important, but there's also just being able to have the convenience of being able to have something good and ready-to-drink format. It, you add all that stuff together, and it really uh, it's a business case against doing a bottled spirit. We often take for granted that alcohol can sit on a shelf for a long time, or at least spirits can. Maybe some people keep vermouth for slightly longer than they should. Most spirits have a very long and stable shelf life, and we don't really stop and think about that as a possible uh, blocker to releasing an alcohol-free one. Uh, so that's, that's actually an interesting thing I hadn't thought of. Different alcoholic spirits have different turnaround times. So gin, but part of the reason that gin has had such a boom in recent years is it's very easy to distill gin quickly and try different recipes. So that's why you get all these different uh, botanical mixes coming out with gin. Whereas something like whiskey has to go and mature for a very long time. So is this something that, it, how quick is this process? Is it something where producing a batch, uh, you know, is, is done in kind of the timescale more like gin and beer? Or is it, is it a longer timescale thing? Yeah, I would say closer to beer. You know, it takes a little bit of time to extract and distill, but uh, it's not something like it goes into a barrel for age. It's not an aged product. The spirit itself is not aged. The, the tea is aged that we use, um, but it's not the spirit. And we have a supply of the aged tea uh, already established. The process itself is not particularly slow, so you can actually iterate if you wanted to try a new product. You can easily like uh, produce a new batch and, and toy around with recipes. 
Absolutely. And that's part of our strategy is to reinvent a whole line of different cocktails. So we, we think things, seasonal items and trial and pilot items are going to be part of our our portfolio and our strategy is to be regularly coming up with new cocktails. So we have some interesting ones in the work and, and we are experimenting with originals. So right now it's all kind of classic cocktails as the brand, but eventually we do intend to create our own original cocktails. You had mentioned working with mixologists, which we're starting to do now uh, to create our own recipes and name them and communicate what they're about. So you currently have these three mindful drinks in your range. I know this is a bit of putting on the spots, picking your favorite child, as it were, but what is your favorite of these and why? Oh, boy. I don't have a favorite. It's funny when I, I did see the question, I was like, why do I have a favorite? I, I don't. It's funny. I'm, I, I, I tend to drink the mindful Negroni when I'm making dinner. So for some reason, it just happens to fit when I'm making dinner. Uh, the mindful margarita is definitely an afternoon kind of four o'clock type thing for me. And the mule is definitely a daytime, daytime drink for me. I, I don't have a favorite. I think they all, I kind of switch between them all. I used to think the Negroni was my favorite because it's the most different and unique and the one I'm most proud of because of, of its uh, uniqueness. But uh, I find myself kind of switching back and forth between all of them. I, th- I think the fact that they're all so unique, not aiming to replicate, but to be inspired by, I suppose, is what intrigues me about them. As someone who likes to tinker with my own cocktail ingredients, uh, I, like, I, I want to see what you've done with these kind of traditional ideas with this different underlying spirit. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I do think that, you know, as we talk about this, it just makes me realize more that we do need to focus on the proposition of being, you know, somewhat uh, special in, in our interpretation. I think a lot of times we get caught and maybe the communication comes across as that we're trying to be a tequila, but we're not. We're trying to be authentic with what we produce with our spirit. I think it's certainly part of the reason I asked about whether you could see it being released as a a spirit in its own right is that I could see that being a thing where you could pair up with mixologists to come up with their own take on a cocktail based on it. But obviously, if it doesn't have a long shelf life, that slightly scuppers that. But maybe maybe that's the thing you could do in the future is have like guest mixologists come in and and help you come up with more unique takes to add to your range. So you currently have three cocktails in your range. Is there anything on the horizon? Do you have any ideas what you're going to add next? I could give some hints. I don't want to reveal it just yet because we're still finalizing things. It's, it goes into production here at uh, the end of April. And I'm not saying anything because it's going to be the first of its kind in the non-alcoholic space. And it is a 1970s, very popular classic cocktail that, that came in the 1970s in America, made with a liqueur. It's going to taste great. It's going to be different. Uh, I don't think that most people, it's not something that, it's kind of like the, the, the Negroni space, right? So everybody knows that a, a, a margarita, everybody's had a, a Moscow mule. Uh, those are very popular. And the Negroni, people kind of recognize it as a cocktail, but they don't really know what it tastes like. And this product is going to be similar to, in that space. So it's going to be, it's a great cocktail. It's actually my mother's favorite cocktail. So I have to mention that. <laughs> always good to please mom, yeah. <laughs> it's always good to please mom, yeah. She, she would be very, she's going to be very proud of it when she tastes it. 
So I suppose we've spent a good half hour now talking about these drinks. For our listeners at home, uh, where can they buy this now, these three cocktails? Uh, At the moment, uh, we're available only in the US and on the Amazon marketplace. We've elected to go to market through Amazon and use it as an opportunity to drive trial and build awareness on the brand. Um, So we are exclusive to Amazon for online purchases in the US. And then we do have a growing number of independent retailers across the U.S. that are picking it up. And uh, you'll be able to see it, hopefully, in your local U.S. grocery store shortly. And are there plans for moving internationally? I know it's early days, but Amazon presumably can distribute it easily. Of course, yeah, no, uh, we, we would love to. It's just a matter of time and uh, letting the process of growing a business take hold. Um, and doing it at the right pace and making sure that you know, we can deliver a good quality product across the globe. But yeah, absolutely. I think there's always an opportunity to expand internationally. I just want to make sure that we keep our supply chain here in the US. Um, so for listeners wanting to uh, learn more, where can they find you on the web? Uh, spiritycocktails.com. And they can find us at our Amazon store, which is amazon.com backslash spiritycocktails. Either place will give you more information about the product and the ability to purchase it if you'd like it. Yes. Yeah, so um, thank you very much uh, for joining me, Eric. Yeah, th- thank you for taking the time to, to come and talk to me about this. This sounds very interesting. I'm intrigued to see how all these different flavors uh, work together. Thank you. And again, we're going to have a, a new flavor in May and uh, look forward to talking about that for our next time. Dr. Wilco's Campaign for Better Beverages is a production of Tinker Taylor Soldier Sponge Productions. It was research written and produced by Dr. Wilco. The music was George Street Shuffle, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3 by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can support this podcast on Patreon via the show notes and the website, drwilco.org forward slash Patreon. <laughs>